Jeremy Lehner is the Senior Vice President of Global Sales for Providence Medical Technology, a leading medical device company specializing in posterior cervical fusion. Jeremy has been leading sales teams for nearly 20 years and is also the author of The Point Guard Approach, a brilliant, straightforward read focusing on the analogy of basketball and how to succeed in business. During our interview, uh, Jeremy talks about the level of training that his organization provides their sales team. He gets into uh, his approach on driving success through his indirect and distributor partnerships. He also walks us through his experience of selling and leading through an acquisition and a lot more. And one of my favorite parts is obviously breaking down his book, The Point Guard Approach. Yeah, you also learn the nuances, which I think is important. It's, it's kind of like being um, a sales rep and then getting promoted. Like you understand the job. And if you don't, it's it's hard to back into it because you, you don't know right. those lonely those lonely drives on a Tuesday evening to make that last call when you want to be home, right? Seriously. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't yeah. lived that life, then it's hard to to it's hard to I mean it's hard to lead a function you haven't been in. I, you know, you've so you've come up within the ranks. You've yeah. been promoted from rep to manager or leader, um, and you've come in new as a leader where you've inherited an organization as well, right? Yeah, but yeah, both and multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, also, starting in mid tier management and, and moving to like you the know senior or senior man- management level. So now you're yeah. managing managers. That's a yes, another whole. Another yeah, like, that's a big jump that I think it's overlooked. Um, going from the field to your first management job or, or field to manager and group and a team is it's a huge leap and it's it takes a whole skill set and then going from like managing the individual contributor to managing managers or or higher like that becomes a different transition level you know and it um different level of delegation and confidence and patience and you know all, all those things and it comes with time and that's where you asked me about imposter or we talked about a little bit of imposter syndrome, like that can creep in pretty quickly when you start working with a lot of really smart senior level, high achieving people that had yeah. already done the thing that you were kind of separating yourself from the, from the herd. And now every, everybody around has already done that too. And now you're, you're trying to, you're not up. special anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it's like prove yourself all over again. How can you stand out amongst a, a set of other a players it's you know going yeah, to the right. being on the, on the right. u.s olympic team you're you're not we all are mvps but what, what are you gonna do right uh, well you want to be there that that's the whole point oh, for sure you want to sure. be there because that's how you bring out your best like when you're around a lot of really good people hopefully more talented than you that's when you become better if you're open to it that that's when you grow Sure. they're pushing you so tell me about your current situation a little bit so let's set the stage for the audience in terms of what you're doing today and we'll work backwards from there i understand that uh, you've been at providence medical technology about five years what does providence medical technology even do can you kind of break that down i know we're in the mid device space but can you elaborate i'm, I'm sure you can Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're a device company. We specialize in treatments of the spine. So specifically cervical spine disease has been where our bread and butter has been for the last really 10 years. Um, we have a flagship product called Chorus, which is allows orthopedic and neurospine surgeons to perform a posterior cervical fusion through a tissue sparing approach, which it's one of a kind. There's nothing else like it on the market. Um, with that, we have a, a platform of other products that support that 
that uh, procedure and other innovations that actually can be used throughout the spine. But we, we are focused on the treatment of spine diseases, spine disorders, and we solely focus on um, manufacturing, marketing, and promoting and educating orthopedic and neurospine surgeons. And then obviously they're working at sites of service like hospitals, surgical centers, ASCs. So um, and we're, we're a global entity. We sell in multiple countries. 99% of our business is here domestically. Um, I, I've been with Providence for over five years as uh, senior vice president of global sales. So my job is to, um, you know, build out the sales function, um, our commercial channel. I work very closely with um, our market access team, which includes marketing and clinical as well as mm -hmm. ops. Um, to ensure that, you know, we're one manufacturing great products that are safe and high quality. Um, but also, you know, we're, we're getting the word out and, you know, my primary objective with our sales leadership team is to, you know, find the best talent in the market, bring them into the organization in strategic markets and um, make sure that we're educating and, and letting the surgeon community know that this technology is available for their patients. Cause it's really a game changer and, very, very powerful, efficacious technology that can can help patient outcomes. So it's exciting work. Love it. And uh, it's been a great ride so far. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're impacting lives in, in a real way. It's, uh, it's important that, you know, cybersecurity is important and lots of different softwares that, you know, or we work with are, are important, but you are directly, like literally touching the human and improving their quality of life. I myself have had an ACDF three level um, I worked at Providence for a couple of years and when you're in the spine space, it's not actually, I had, I never met with anybody in the industry that actually had a procedure done, uh, on themselves. But one of the things I know that's really unique and special about being in that space is we have to learn how to do this procedure ourselves. So we're practicing on cadavers. Your team is in the lab, in the OR, doing this procedure hands-on uh, and learning what that looks like with, you know, obviously not real, real humans, but to that point, they're in the OR, the transaction happens in the OR with your business. Is that right? Yeah, correct. And you're right. We do a, spend a lot of time training um, our reps and working hand in hand with our uh, healthcare professional faculty. So we have surgeons that help train um, but our, you know, our team is, becomes an integral part of making sure that procedure goes off really well. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time making sure that our reps are well-equipped, well-trained, um, and, you know, have the experience to bring a lot of value to our surgeon customers at the end of the day, because it's really about patient safety and driving really, um, you know, the, the optimal outcome for the patient. And, right. and that's, you know, it's really important to us. Yeah, I mean, it's changed my life having the, the, you know, I had the interior version, but you specialize in a posterior, just so we're all clear for, for our audience. Uh, folks like Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning, George Clooney, Jennifer Gray, all of these folks have had either uh, lumbar or cervical fusion surgeries done. So it's, it's, we all have spines, people, and we all know what it's like to have neck and back pain, neck and back pain, I'm sure. So uh, definitely check out Providence. Now, a little bit about your organizational structure. Can you break down, you did mention you're global. So we, we know that there's a, that aspect of the business, but how many direct reps do you have? I know you have an indirect channel. So about how many distributors are you uh, working with today? Yeah. So our, I think our direct channel is um 25 or so reps and a, and a field management team so there's probably 30 of us that are directly you know working out in the the marketplace here domestically and then 
our distribution partner, it's pretty expansive. I would say it's in around a hundred different distributors domestically um, and internationally. So talk to us about how you, the, the differences in managing those from your seat, you would have responsibility over both routes to market, both direct and indirect. So I, I will talk a little bit in a bit uh, about your leadership style and, and those sorts of things. So we can maybe unpack what you're doing with your direct team there. But what are you doing to get your indirect channel sort of hopping? Because that's something that I think a lot of companies, irrespective of industry, are trying to crack the code on. How do we get these referral sources, these indirect models, uh, partner-led models uh, thriving? It's, it's it's a difficult racket. So how do you, how is your team successful with that? We're really fortunate to have some long-term distribution partners and we they are distributor partners because they um, we treat them as we would a, a direct and that we really value um, you know, their contributions. They've got really ingrained long-term relationships in their specific markets. Some of the distributors we work with maybe work with one or two surgeons. Some work with a hundred surgeons in a, in a given market. So really depends on the size. There's a lot of nuance to um, distributor partners, but they're running independent businesses. They carry usually um, multiple, multiple products. product lines, not just mm-hmm. But the partners we tend to work with are typically very focused on spine, bringing new technology to their customers. Um, And, you know, I think a lot of the success, at least we've had, and and also I've had at other companies is that, you know, we treat them with respect. We give them the resources that they need. And, um, you know, also understanding that they're not a direct employee. So there's certain things that we're, you know, may ask of a direct employee that we wouldn't ask of a distributor partner. Um, but again, we really value, you know, the, the, the partnership, we need to be available, accessible and, uh, very resource oriented because again, they're doing a lot of things. They're focused on a lot of different products. We want to keep our product front and center in their mind, obviously. So high level of engagement. We actually have a dedicated, uh, team that works with, with our distribution network. So a, a leader that, you know, is available to uh, to work closely with them. And then um, we call them customer development managers, but personnel that are there to help cover cases, do training, work with certain customers that may have, you know, individual needs um, that, you know, maybe the distribution partner isn't, you know, able to uh, provide solutions for right away. So the more we can resource their efforts, um, the more successful they are, the more they, you know, want to sell our products and um, and we also don't, uh, we don't take a shotgun approach. We're, we're more of a, a sniper, I would say, where we've mm-hmm. got a specific market or a specific pocket we want to get into. Um, that's who we're, we're, we're targeting the surgeons and the, the distributed partners that are working with those surgeons in that market. So very specific, not a scattered approach. So we've actually trimmed our network down over the past couple of years, wow. especially with the pandemic. And we've become more um, streamlined and, and again, focused on trying to provide really good support and resource for the partners that we work with. I love how you have an inclusive approach to the partner program. I believe you invite them to your SKOs and other events that, that Providence is hosting. Is that right? Yeah, we try to. And, and in fact, this year, we're because we're coming out of the pandemic, um, you know, really talking about some other options where we do distributor trainings and, and other meetings that we can bring some of our you know, higher volume groups together, come down to the, to the home office in Pleasanton or go to them and do regional things. We also use, you know, platforms like zoom and, and Google Meet to do training right. and connect that way. So um, yeah, a, a, I think a broad 
brush uh, of that, but we're, I think it's an area we want to get a little bit more engagement in 2023. Fair last couple of years has just been a, a little more challenging. Well, I think there's a lot that can be taken away. We could probably unpack that topic all day. I, I do want to understand your path a little bit, though. So before you got into Spine, you were at Medtronic, Cardinal Health. I mean, these are multi-multi-billion dollar organizations, and they're leading in, in that space. I want to understand your, your time at Medtronic specifically. It looks like you were there during an acquisition. Um, that can be tough, and I think... We're going to see a lot of consolidation in a lot of different industries this year. So what advice do you have and what was it like to sell through an acquisition like that, that transition of you know, being with, I think it was salient and then, you know, graduating into a, a bigger organization like Medtronic, you know, there's a lot of distraction happening at the time. So how are you able to continue to lead effectively and still hit your targets with all of that going on around you? People are probably going to see some of that this year in other industries. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and I agree with you. Um, when I think back to those years, one, I mean, it was transformative for me. So that salient, it was actually Tissue Link became salient, became acquired by Medtronic. Uh, those are really important years for me from a mm -hmm. career development standpoint. Um, if I think back, you know, I started as a as a field rep, one of the first reps in Florida for Tissue Link at the time. We had this great technology, um, real game changer. So we we knew that it had a bright future, mm -hmm. and and that kind of run over the next six years was uh, just 30% growth every quarter, every quarter. And we're just growing and expanding, growing, and expanding. And, and I was fortunate to get an opportunity to go from field rep to, you know, regional manager, I think was the title, but I was, I was managing direct reps um, out on the West coast and uh, we did really well. And then eventually I was promoted to an area vice president. And that was in and around the time of the, the transaction. And, and your point and your question is well taken in that, there was a lot of distraction because there's a lot of ambiguity. Nobody knows what the future holds. Um, I give a ton of credit to our senior leadership, our CEO at the time, and 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 down that chain of command because they kept us informed, but not overly informed. In that, you know, at, at my level, I kind of knew things were happening. There was diligence going on. There was there was information they may need. There was transparency to the fact that hey. There could be a transaction. We could do an IPO. Something's happening. We're we're a very successful business, and we're kind of primed for that next, you know, move in the in the in the future. So, what was challenging to your point was to keep the field rep focused on what we needed to do, and it came down to day to day execution. It was right. just like we can't control anything that's a month from now. We can't control a quarter from now. We don't know if it's Medtronic or Stryker or who's acquiring us. But we know that if we have a very healthy business, you're doing your job really, really well, that's valuable. And whoever acquires us, or if you go IPO, you're of great value, especially at the, the territory manager or the, the, you know, right at the point of attack. Right. I so, mean, anybody close to the customer in those situations usually isn't a good spot, particularly if they're performing yeah, well. Absolutely. And, and we felt that way the whole way up the chain of command. And mm -hmm. funny, as you fast forward, like, Medtronic acquired us and they brought the entire division over. There was no layoffs. Oh, they, were, nice. they just brought us in as our own entity and we became Medtronic Advanced Energy. And that business ran for, I want to say, 10, 12 years as a standalone business. Oh, got it. So they didn't force the integration right away. So you, you were running your own CRM still, still just focused on your products. It wasn't like yeah. they... Okay, now you are selling Medtronic's book and you're yeah. also double dipping into our CRM and making sure all the data is flowing. Okay, that that uh, that makes it yeah. for less distraction. 
Yeah, it was. And, and, you know, there still was distraction. There's still changes, Um, you know, and and I, I want to stay, I stayed along with Medtronic for a year Mm -hmm. or so, um, but really liked that earlier stage environment and just felt like that, you know, that fit fit my goals and aspirations a little bit better at the time. So, you know, I transitioned away, but the, the, the actual transition was pretty, pretty smooth, all things considered. Good to know. Yeah. There's a, not everyone has, gone through these types of transactions and it can be nerve-wracking you're you're not sure if your job is safe what tomorrow holds what's going to change even if you do have your job and and sometimes there is a lot of disruption you know sometimes you change teams and products and focuses and i think it's it's important to move with the cheese as they say i'm sure we've all read spencer that book um when and that's particularly important at, at that time now go to Cardinal Health for me. That that's a you know that was a different time for you. I think you spent a considerable amount of time as an individual contributor as well there, and where you probably were was really formative. I, I would presume in in terms of your sales approach and and whatnot. But you were selling a really interesting product there. You were selling sales effectively. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it, it started out actually it was, it was pharmaceutical sales. It was at the core of it when I was an individual mm-hmm. individual contributor. But the division I was in for Cardinal was building custom sales forces for mostly pharma or biotech, uh, maybe startups, right? Mm -hmm. Earlier stage had a new product, wanted to expand, but didn't want to commit to a full, you know, the capital that you need to go full line. And, and um, it was a great business model. And and I did start as an individual contributor, basically a pharma rep for, you know, three years and then got into management and was able to see that other side of the business, which was really neat. So I got to hire sales teams and manage them up and, do transactions. And, and uh, so for about three years, I was a real young manager, but it was um, definitely eye-opening. It was a great experience learning how to build teams quickly, launch products, train, performance manage, and then mm-hmm. transition because you got to go on. To the, you know, we were constantly in, in kind of movement and it was uh, the word flexibility is what comes to mind, right? It's all about being flexible, being on your toes, um, you know, Today doesn't determine tomorrow by any means, comp plans, you name it. Everything was in movement, in flux. And if that wasn't the environment that you felt comfortable in, it was not the place for you. So uh, that taught me a lot about how to um, kind of just stay really alert to what was happening, uh, be able to change quickly and find others that want to do that. And those that don't, not a great place. And that's okay. Cause not everybody wants to be in that environment, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice, um, nice run with Cardinal. And I, I learned a lot, some great people there and it was uh, definitely, definitely impactful. And that was your first shot into, into leadership uh, was, was then. So this is right around 2004, you were uh, leading 12 reps in the Southeast. So if we, do the math, you've been leading people for leading salespeople specifically for nearly 20 years. Uh, that's a long track record. And you've been at, like we said, Providence as uh, the global head of sales for over five years. You have. Uh, yeah, Derek, I'm getting old. <laughs> no, yeah. That that's old. where I was going with that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, look, uh, you've established yourself with a really strong track record in sales leadership. I'm curious how the hell you do it though, because to sustain that long consistently, and these days you often see uh, individuals in a role like yours that are moving every couple of years. 
and you're able to hold it down everywhere you go. People love working for you. I know for a fact, I have a very good friend, John DeLeon, who I know is going to listen to this episode, who works in your leadership and it's like rep of the year, two times in a row or something. Um, so what you're doing is working. You have the proven track record, but give us the secret sauce though. What is the one or two things that you would attribute that phenomenal track record to? Uh, very good luck. Very good luck. John DeLeon is a good uh, example of that. That's somebody that's just super talented and you just put them in the right place at the right time. Things, Good things are going to happen. No, I, no, I appreciate that. And it is, um, it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing when you look back. And I, the one thing I'd say is, you know, in terms of, I don't know what the special sauce is, but when you have a great love for people and, and seeing people do well, um, I really uh, enjoy building and being part of like this high performance team methodology where it's, mm. you're trying to do something really hard and you find other people that like to do that. And you work really hard together to get that job done. And you don't always hit the mark. Like I don't always hit the number, but we're going to do it with integrity and we are going to give it our all. And we're going to be creative. And I think that approach has worked really well in that um, when you're, when your ideal and your foundation is based on like, giving to others and making sure that yeah, at the end of the day, you can't do it alone. Like, Did you call that being a service leader or a leader of service? Uh, the best I'm going to do is when I get the best people around me and, right, and we, right. we do things together. And I've had some just tremendously talented people around me at every stop, right? Whether I was an individual contributor, I still had a great manager or a colleague or, you know, or a mentor and, and every level along the way has been like that. And some of it has to do with your willingness to be open and humble to feedback and the higher up the chain of command you go, uh, you know, your ego can get in your way and it takes somebody that say, Hey, you might not be doing this right. And so in the last several years, that's been executive coaches, you know, which I would strongly recommend for anybody kind of moving through that leadership continuum is, is get somebody that's got a neutral opinion. That's going to tell you what it is and what your holes are and, um, reset you because you, you constantly need reset, right? You constantly need to look at yourself in a really objective way and say, you know, where, where can I grow? Where, can where are I my learn? blind spots? What can I I'm not very, see? Yeah. Very yeah. open. To that. And I think that's attributed to some of the longevity mm -hmm. building great teams, building great relationships up and down in the organization. Um, and then just having a really authentic belief in helping others and winning and how many people can I impact? And that's the beauty of kind of like moving up. You just get more reach. You know, you know it's interesting that the the advice you're giving is, is you know, people first, you know, uh, lead from the front. Um, these things, it, it, there's, you don't hear the strategy, the tactical things, you know, and that's impressive because I think a lot of times we, uh, we see leaders that are hyper-focused on, downstream tactical let's let's make more calls let's have more meetings right let's get the account alignment tuned and territory optimization i know that's a big one for you and those are all important and it, it really strategically important things but in terms of running a successful sales organization year over year industry to industry it, the thing that's been true for you is the the people side of it uh, yeah well said. I completely agree. I think all the strategy and the tactics you and I could pick a topic and talk about it for two hours. Right. Territory optimization, right? Hiring, talent development, 
uh, management, you know, uh, opportunities? How do we develop ma future managers? Um, you know, compensation planning. Yeah, which you're in the middle of right now, I'm sure. Yeah, finalizing just, right now, right? Yeah. You name it. Uh, how to run a great meeting. You know, how do you mm. run great meetings? How do you put together strategies like that? Um, training. I, you know, I love, I love sales training. Um, professional education I've, I've kind of taken on in the last couple of years. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, you just learn. I'm constantly looking for these things. So, yeah, but at the foundation of it all is the people, you know. So where does, where does that stem from? Uh, we were talking offline a little bit about, you know, your, your earlier days and uh, your time in Tampa and your move, family moving to Tampa and, and all that. Dad was a teacher. Mom was a dental hygienist. Did that, how did that impact your, or how did they, as, as your parents, impact your philosophy and leadership? I don't know. That's a great question that, um, you know, they, I think, I think the one thing, as I think back growing up was like, nothing came real easy for them. They, you know, we, money wasn't flowing off the, out of the trees, you know, so we, we everything, everybody worked hard, right? So work, hard work was instilled really early and we didn't take things for granted. So we really appreciated that. And, you know, honoring, I think the family relationships and the friendships that were built my parents weren't like wildly social, but the people they were close with, they were really very close, close to and they took care of. And, and we felt, um, you know, it was probably instilled very early just how important family was. And the those, connected tissue that they established with those yeah, relationships. Yeah. I'm looking for, how do we glean from this? And boom, there it is, as you, yeah. you saw how intimate those relationships were. And it sounds like you replicate that in, in your setting, despite all of the HR stuff. And, you know, we're in a professional setting and we need to you know, keep the stuff in a box. It sounds like you're able to get pretty personal with your, with your colleagues and your teammates yeah. as well. Yeah. I think you and I talked about that offline was um, there was a breakthrough for me as a, and maybe for people that are kind of younger managers or new is I was always taught in these kind of bigger organizations, like keep that barrier between you and the, the colleague, if somebody works for you or even up, up. and mm. the reality is like, that's the opposite of what you should do. And you want to break those walls down. And, and if you care about the people, just like uh, think about yourself, when somebody cares about you and you know, that's authentic, how much harder do you I'll want to run through a wall for them? Yeah. And that doesn't mean you, sometimes you're gonna be forced to make tough decisions with people that you really enjoy because they're just not a good fit for the role they're currently in. But by letting them go, for instance, a, a termination or a, a putting them on a performance plan, maybe allowing them to move to the spot on the bus that they're going to thrive in. And, and I didn't understand that a long time ago, but, um, you know, those two things I think have come over time that the 20 year run you're talking about even longer is that sometimes, um, by letting somebody transition and helping them on their way, that, that could free them to be wildly successful in the thing that they want to do or can do better. Great segue. Great segue. I wanted to ask you about the headlines in terms of layoffs, particularly around the, the tech space. I spent a lot of time working with technology companies. Folks that are listening to this are probably uh, a good portion of them are probably with technology companies, and we're seeing massive layoffs in the space. So I want to ask you two questions about this headline. But the first, I want to know you, you've, I assume, gone through a round of layoffs as a leader in your career, and it's not about the fact that layoffs are happening. That that's an an effect of our econ economy and our capitalist society, but 
it's the way that the layoffs are happening, I think, is coming under pressure. And you talk a lot about, you know, caring about individuals. I mean, what are your thoughts on people being laid off over Slack and emails in the middle of the night and these, you know, horror stories that we're kind of seeing? What's your opinion on all that? They could be a worse way to let somebody go. You know, I think when I think about any type of layoff or termination, it, it's as much respect as much grace that you could provide as you would when you onboard somebody should be given when you offboard somebody. And it doesn't always happen that way. And I don't run a 50,000 person company. So for me to say, you know, Amazon or Google or Facebook, anybody, you know, is there, do they have the ability to personally call each one and set up a zoom or do a phone call or fly in? Probably not. So I get it. And you know, they're, they're running publicly traded companies that, they're watching that margin. They're watching every bit of the, the economics uh, very tightly. But I think for anybody that's got the ability to not to avoid those types of um, separations, uh, it's it's important because the way that somebody leaves the company is just as important as the way that they come in. And uh, well I've always done it right. And fortunately, I haven't done a lot of big layoff um yeah, I haven't been forced to do that, but we, you know, the big one was COVID. You know, we we did do furloughs, we did do terminations, and it was awful. It was like the worst day. It's the worst part of the job. Yeah, whether it's one, especially when it's mass, uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we did to some scale that and it, it's awful, but I, you know, do it with grace, do it with right. respect, because um, those those people that are transitioning become, you know, kind of a a microphone, a speaker about their experiences. And, you know, I mean, that now uh, more than ever, Glassdoor and other sites are really amplifying that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I feel very bad for the folks that are probably first line managers or maybe having to do that with no warning or, you know, cause mm -hmm. a lot of that comes yeah. down from, you know, much higher levels. So yeah, for, sure. for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, in that, I am curious what your thoughts are on people who are maybe looking at looking at making career changes, right? right. Yeah, because tech and it's, you know, they're smaller companies too. We see it with, with smaller organizations that are downsizing and, and, and doing these things. So I think we've all been watching the news. We know what's happening with technology. So technology salespeople might be looking at changing industries and med device is a $500 billion current uh, market currently uh, roughly. Slated for seven hundred billion by two thousand twenty nine, according to the research I did. What would be your recommendations to someone who maybe is has been in tech sales and wants to get into med device? And is that even realistic? So talent always finds a way to win. I believe in that wholeheartedly. So somebody that's very talented and has professional selling skills, um, I believe, could make a transition to any industry they want. However, there are nuances to med device, uh, which you alluded to earlier in the discussion, like being in the OR, for instance, if you're, if you are fortunate enough to get an opportunity that a company that makes products that actually surgeons use in the operating room, you got to have a different skill set for that. You can't go from, you know, selling a SaaS product to that without a significant amount of training. And I would recommend for somebody that's interested is one, find somebody you know, in your network that, you know, that's doing the job you want to do or kind of close, go do a field ride with them, go, 
you know, sit down, take them for coffee, learn about what is the true day to day, because it might be different than what you perceive it to be. Mm -hmm. It's not always sexy, glamorous, and not everybody's making multiple six figure income. Not everybody's killing it like John DeLeon. I hit John for that right along. (laughs) Right, right. Um, So, so do that one too. There's probably going to be an intermediary step. So if you are doing tech right now and you inevitably want to get to med device, what's in between there? Um, there's a lot of medical sales that aren't directly in the OR. They probably look a little bit more like what you currently do from a day to day, but it gets your foot into that med tech, maybe. Sales. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Medical sales space, biotech could be uh, any number of things, DME products, um, things that even software, medical software, things like that, that just get you into healthcare. And then that next transition could be there. There's also, you, you allude to uh, distributor partners, right? Distributor partners a lot of times have associate roles and other roles that they want to fill that it might be easier to break into than a, you know, multi-million dollar, billion dollar med tech company that's looking for a very specific um, experience level that you're not going to have at this point. But I believe at the end of the day, um, talent will, you know, win and, and great, highly talented people that did really well in tech could do it in med device for sure, but there might be a couple steps you're gonna have to get you know yeah take a step back to take two steps forward potentially yeah, right yeah, exactly. i mean we uh, know of account executives and sdrs as a common SaaS model so if you're an account executive you might be equally uh, see this as the equal of taking a step into an sdr role that, that associate role um where you may not be sdr work necessarily maybe there's some, right. some components of that but the the gist of it is it's probably equal in terms of the totem, the hierarchy in the organization. So you might take a step back, get to that entry level position, but a, you know talent will always win, and that will be identified, and you'll be able to you know, move your your career up. And you look, um, I know you're dealing with you know not all of your surgeries and the, the demand in your business is um, you, you know like reactive to medical emergencies. And I know there is a component of that. But there's also an elective part of it. So I would go as almost as far as saying healthcare is recession proof, you know, being that we're looking at a potential recession now, but so there's some diciness there. It's not a completely recession proof, but it is a safe place to be. And there's a lot of uh, earning potential and you've been in healthcare for, for quite some time. So obviously it's done well for you. Yeah, no, well, well said. And um, yeah, there, there's, there's a vast amount of opportunities out there in, in the space and related spaces. And I think there's some stuff that tech people do that transfers really, really well. And just that hunt, that ability to get out and, and the volume of opportunities you need to create in, right. in that space. That's important because there are reps, I think, in med tech that have been around for a while that they lose the hunt because they develop a customer base. And you're not really hunting anymore. You're servicing. Servicing is different. So if you find companies, and this would be the last, I guess, comment on that, if, you, if you're looking to transfer those skills over, look for companies that want hunters and want people that want to go out and build Great the market, not, not maintain the market, right? Great point. Great point. Yeah. There, there's that transfer. There are some transferable skill sets that yeah. definitely move over. Yes. And I'd also add the complexity aspect, you know, in tech talk, often we're having to take very complex concepts, distill it down and communicate it in a simple fashion. And we're often dealing with people who are specialists in their field, product engineers, cybersecurity analysts, like these are uber smart people in their field as are neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons and these folks, right? So you're used to dealing with 
that you're used to, you know, communicating complex terms. So there's there's hope. There's an opportunity. Now, look, tech isn't going to turn into a, a a desert, right? It's not going to go into a, a ghost town. But there is definitely going to be some shrinkage and some tightening of the belt. So if you are thinking about making that job jump, make sure you consider what what Jeremy's saying here. Now, I want to talk about your book. I'm going to transition. Um, you wrote a awesome book that I personally am a big fan of because I'm a big basketball guy myself. Go Dubs. Yeah. Uh, Golden State Warriors, that is. Yeah. Um, you were a point guard in college, and obviously basketball is is, is your game. I, normally, people would say, hey, so tell me about the book. But before we do that, I want to read a passage to tee that up, and then cool. you can tell us a little bit about it. So let's see here. This is about communicating on defense. So communication, communication, communication. Former NBA point guard and championship coach Doc Rivers stated, if you're not talking, you're not playing defense. Great point guards are strong communicators. They call the plays. They provide direction to teammates. And in many instances are guarding the ball more than anyone else on, de on defense because they have to cover the, the other primary ball handler. What does that mean? And how do you correlate that to business? Communication. Commun it's funny. I watched uh, the Sixers play last night. Uh, oh, Doc Rivers is the coach. I'm a big fan. He's he's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, I You know, communication – is so important in business, um, especially if you're on a team. Everybody's on a team to some extent, unless you're just a solo practitioner. Um, but even if you are, you're communicating to somebody, right? So right. If you, effective communication is everything. And especially in our line of work, whether you're tech sales, medical sales, I don't care what it is, your ability to articulate, listen, communicate and interact in a very positive way to move things forward is, is vital. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as it relates specifically to the, you know, the, the point guard in my mind is, you know, it's kind of the catalyst on offense. So if they're not communicating both through signals with the coach and then becoming that kind of uh, conduit to the team, you know, you, you don't see many teams that are very successful unless that's happening. I mean, most championship teams, right. Have that. It's the same thing in business. Like they have a great leader. That's, communicating there's transparency people are listening there's this two-way hey this is what we're trying to accomplish there's feedback all right let's iterate and then we go and we execute right so communication is uh critical yeah i love the aspect of it being a defense guy communicating on defense specifically when you think about being in the market and you know defending your territory right we need to be communicating as a team you know, product, marketing, sales, you name it, we all have to be dialoguing really well. And I think that's a secret what you, you talked about with your success is how you're able to build those cross-functional relationships and keep those channels of communication going, getting those feedback loops uh, in, involved. And you being on the front line, leading from, uh, from the front, I'm sure you're able to pick up directly what the surgeons are saying, what their challenges are with the procedure, the instrumentation, and being able to take that directly back to your product teams that are doing the development. Yeah. If a couple of weeks goes by and I don't get out in the field and see a customer or get on a, a sales call, um, you know, with a prospect, it's too long. You really, you need to keep that, sh that sword very sharp. And it's really important because you can, tend to be in the boardroom or on these calls mm -hmm. planning cycles. And the farther you go from that, the more disconnected you get. And there is something to whisper down the lane. Like if you're only hearing from your management team and they're only hearing from the reps and the reps are, you know, it, there's, it's lost in translation. So sometimes 
you know, I, I attribute maybe some of that um, longevity to always focusing on listening to the customer directly, getting those direct touches, trying the things that we're telling everybody else to do myself, right? Um, giving that, you know, that new messaging a whirl or that new sales aid or the iPad or whatever tool. Updating your CRM. <laughs> updating, making notes in the CRM, like whatever those things are, like do it, try it. I don't have to do it every day. Right, I, right. You know, it's like case coverage. I'm, I don't go into the OR that much. I still go because I love being in the OR, but I'm not the guy that's going to go cover the case the best, but it's good to know what does that look like? What's what's going on in the OR? We're, we're recommending this. Am I seeing that? And, and how do we make it easier or better for the rep? So yeah, that that's a big part of leading from the front. Another uh, question that's an analogy. What's the equivalent to looking at the ball while you're dribbling in business, right? As a point guard, you you got to keep your head up. You got to have the vision. Yeah. Right? yeah. And you got to look at the peripherals and see the court. And so what, how would you equate that analogy to, to business? What would be the equivalent of looking at the ball while I'm dribbling? You know, you're, you're with your customer, you're very happy about the business you've established and you are not getting your head up to look around. Who's the referral they could give you? Who's the who's the customer you just drove by on the way, or the prospect on the, the way? The other three customer? surgeons in that surgery group that they're uh, part of. Yeah, and you know, and and are are you getting complacent by just hey, all good? I'm I'm, and by the way, like customer service and service customers, huge. So not that, but what are you missing along the way with your head down, staring at that, you know, staring at that commission check you just earned, <laughs> versus thinking about what's the, how do I double that commission check? How do I add more value to more customers? How do I create more scale? Am I planning? Do I have contingencies for when things don't go right? Because they. They do. They just, something's going to go wrong. Yeah. You're not going to bat a thousand deals or, you know, bat at a wrong sport, but you get, yeah, right, right, you're no. going to close everything. Get your head up and look around the market. And that, that, that goes back to the other point of protecting your business. You have to be aware of what's going on in the marketplace because there's competitors coming. If you've established anything of value, somebody's coming behind you to try and take it. Word. Get your head up. Get your head up. <laughs> get, get, your head out, get your head up. Uh, so a, a surgeon actually inspired you to write this book, uh, a surgeon in Houston who was doing a lot of blogging. I guess he wrote a, a couple books himself in a relatively quick period. And you saw that, Hey, he's a super busy surgeon, uh, doing a lot of different things and he's able to still create this content. You know, what am I doing? I, I got to do the same thing. So talk to me about your why behind the book and, and, and your, and your brand building in general. Why did you write the book? What does it mean for you? What is it intended for? And, you know, anybody can read the book and take the lessons from it, which are great. And I encourage everybody to go out and grab the point guard approach. But I want to get to your purpose behind building a personal brand, writing the book. And then if you can just layer into this, what's next? Yeah. So the the why, you know, at first was I just wanted the challenge to do it because I was mm. like, I'm not a novel writer. I haven't been trained as a writer. Can I do it? So it was more of just self-growth and the challenge. And the and then, yeah, Dr. Kotler telling me about this, like he wrote two books and whatever, 180 days. I was just blown away. I was always intrigued by it. Uh, and then it just became, okay, now I'm going to try it. And I don't have the time. I don't have the expertise. I'm frankly not that talented to write anything probably. But 
that's a story you were telling yourself but you, yeah, you overcame yeah. that somehow it sounds and like. it was like well let's let's go get it and, yeah, and that's yeah. the competitive side of me that was the uh, that's what i was gonna say that's why i was smiling because it sounded like yeah. you're a little competitive they're like man i can do that too i can do it and uh and you know and and it's like no harm no foul it's right. the worst thing we're gonna I can put some things down on paper that, um, and inevitably the why after that was how do I share some of this stuff that I, I really believe in and could it help two people or 2 million people somewhere in between? It doesn't matter, but if it, if it could help somebody else, that's, that's pretty cool. And, you know, and I think I have something interesting to share. So that was kind of the why. And then beyond that and we talked about this a little bit offline with the the brand i, I don't think about it as much about brand as i think about it as scale is mm. you know, linkedin and some of these other social media platforms have allowed us to now reach more people quickly you don't have to be a movie star or right. our athlete to do it um and and i think it's it's awesome in one way and that you can share and learn so quickly from others that are doing things that you want to do and you can help others that want to do what you're doing already, or they see that in their future. And, and I think the brand to me is a vehicle of scale. And if I can reach more people in a way that I want to and share, it opens up opportunities. It creates more positive impact for others. And, you know, it's to, to me, that's, that's probably more important than any kind of like, you know, Jeremy Lane or brand or, or trying to make some uh, contract somewhere or, or some sort of earning potential thing. It's it's more about impact. And so this isn't about speaking engagements. This isn't about uh, uh, no. how many books can I sell this month? Right, right. No, nothing to do with that. You know, you're not going to quit your job because you wrote a book. I think you said in one of your podcasts. Yeah, absolutely not. And in fact, if if another book uh, is in the future, it'll be organic. And, and I've got ideas, and I maybe want to do it because that's another challenge. And I learned a lot about. Um, the ups and downs of, of writing a book and I want to speed it up and I want to add more value to more people. So the, the future is uh, it's about scale and more giving and, you know, how else can I find ways to impact more people in a positive way? You know, the, the sports analogies with sales come under a lot of heat. Uh, you, it doesn't, you don't have to scroll long on LinkedIn for someone to kind of, you know, post another eye roll around sports analogies or metaphors uh, as they relate to, to to sales and how maybe it promotes the bro culture and whatnot but uh, i think the what i want to say about this is that the it doesn't really matter about the discipline so much that just happened to be what you lived and how you saw the world and how you were able to impact lives and like, like myself i've read this book and if you see my copy of it, if you're watching like i have this thing highlighted and notes in the columns not just because i'm interviewing uh, the, the the author, but this is how I read my books. I study them. I don't just read them. Um, but let's talk about another discipline that you could potentially write a book about as well. Maybe the surgeon approach, right? Because the discipline still remains um, around the level of intensity, the vision, the flexibility. A lot of these principles, regardless of the discipline, still apply, right? Totally. Yeah. And that, that was the whole point of the book was that was my level of expertise. Like I've done this Thing I do now for 20 years, but I've been around basketball since I was like six years old. So I was like, those things marry up, but all the principles are completely uh, objective. You could apply it to anything. You don't have to know anything about basketball to appreciate exactly or apply some of them. And, and that was the whole concept too. It wasn't like take this and now you're going to be wildly successful. It's like take a chunk of this and maybe next week you're going to do something different than you did last week. And it's going to get you a great outcome. And in a thought process more 
you know, moreover. And, um, you know, we get to work with these surgeons, neurosurgeons, or big surgeons who are just so disciplined and have done all this training to get to this point in their career where they can help directly help patients' lives, which is so, so cool. Like, you know, but it takes a number of amazing qualities, right, to do that. So absolutely, you know, the surgeon approach makes uh, makes total sense. And, and all these principles like resilience, and what does that have to do with basketball? Yeah, you have to be resilient, but I'll tell you what, there's a lot of, you could be somebody, um, you know, in the military, you could be a you know, musician, uh, <laughs> yeah. a lawyer, you, you, you name it. If it's a discipline of any type that requires practice and concentration and, you know, the, the whole laws of mastery, then it, it, all of these principles directly apply, I think. Uh, yeah. And I just happened to bite into it and, and appreciate it because, again, I didn't play point uh, when I played ball. I was more of a two or three guard, so I was striking off the side. You know, you're you're feeding me to get your assists, right? But um, yeah, so let's 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 we're gonna wrap here in a minute. But I want to break down an important part of the book and hear from your hear your thoughts. So for our listeners, there is a prepare for the apex moment is a section in your book prepare for the apex moment. So if we think about sales, it's, you know, that, that first discovery call meeting, uh, maybe it's, uh, when you're delivering the proposal and, you know, maybe in basketball, it's that moment when you get to pull up for the shot or the alley-oop is sent your way. Are you going to be able to finish, you know, th- these, these things, it's that moment of impact, the apex moment. And when you talk about being prepared for that apex moment, what you're talking about is practice a lot. And through the book, you mentioned practice in several different sections. Uh, I almost wanted to count how many times you mentioned practice, because this is an an important topic in the sales arena. And as I go from company to company, uh, working on SDR teams, I don't see a lot of practicing. So I'm curious how you've operationalized practicing within your organization, how important it is that your team get those reps and what do they practice on even? Yeah, it's it's so important. And it's amazing that in professional sales, there's this kind of lack of focus on that really important part of getting better and being a professional salesperson. Because if you talk to a professional fill in the blank, let's baseball, they don't just go out and play the games. I mean, they are just working on their every aspect of that game all the time. And, you know, I mentioned Michael Jordan and he gets thrown around a lot, but he's just doing the, the basic fundamentals Kobe, all the greats, like they always go back to the fundamentals and they're the ones in the gym before everybody else. But there's a lot of other players that are doing that as well. But what separates the really, really great players is their level of intensity when they're doing those fundamentals is different. Right. And how we've operationalized at Providence. And I think it's a work in progress is that like role-playing is a big part of our training. When you first get hired and you come to our new hire training class, you're going to be role-playing a lot. When you are with us for four years and you go to a national sales meeting, you're going to be role-playing a lot. If you go to a mid-year, you know, regional area, get together, meeting, whatever, you're going to be role-playing a lot. (laughs) And one of the things we talk about is in the feedback, actually, from our most recent global sales meeting was like, they wish they had more time to role-play. So culturally, kind of a nice shift is like, instead of, oh crap, we got to role-play, people want more, more reps, more time. So we're talking about, how do we set up a call like this? Because you and I could role play right now. I could say, could. Derek, okay, you're an orthopedic spine surgeon. You, I've met you with you once. Let's go. I'm gonna and, and we can role play. And we've asked our reps to do that with their managers or with the with each other. Each other. 
you can do that anytime. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your kid. You know, everybody likes to to have fun and, you know, role-playing could be 30 seconds, could be five minutes, could be a half an hour. So it doesn't have to be this arduous formal thing, but man, with modern technology, we had our reps actually holding their cell phone. I don't know if you can see this. Like, so if I'm the doctor and you're, you're calling on me, we would have this. So you could see what your sales call looks like from the view of the customer. Put yourself in the customer's eyes. Super. So super we have cool, voice right? of the customer and eyes of the customer. Right? Yeah. That was one of our manager, Alessandro, you know, Alessandro, yeah, um, yeah. It, it was one of his ideas. I like, that's great. So you just hold the cell phone, videotape the role play and then give it and like, this is what you look like when you're pitching. But how do you practice at full speed? I know you talked in the book about intense role plays, check, but practicing at game speed, quote unquote, is also in, in the book. So how would a med device person practice at full speed role play, you know, with your internal uh, folks is, is a version, I guess, but are are they practicing on their prospects? Are they practicing on surgeons? And when that could be, I mean, you wouldn't want to practice on your good ones, right? Correct. Yeah. So one of the things we talked about is the total office call. So like when you go in in our business, you, you may be calling on a, a whole practice. You don't just go meet the surgeon doesn't meet you at Applebee's every time you're having a meeting, right? Most of the time it's in their clinic. Well, who do you run into in the clinic? You got the gatekeeper practice. You got the MA, the medical assistant practice. You got the physician assistant practice so you're saying launch into your spiel pitch everybody yeah, pitch everybody there you go everybody yeah. why wouldn't you Take and then when shots, you're in the hospital yeah. when you're in a hospital you got all these other stakeholders you've got you name it but perioperative services and neuro coordinator ortho coordinators the so, value folks you have procurement and hey, those guys you anybody talk to. anybody is is worthy of of getting educated and that's a nice thing about our technology is like everybody's got a spine Everybody's got a cervical spine. Everybody's got a lumbar spine and they know somebody that's got back pain because it's the number two reason that you go to the doctor's office, common cold and back pain. Mm. Everybody knows about spine. So talk about it, pitch, talk about, you know, and and you can titrate the level of clinical and technical uh, jargon you use based on the audience you're with, but that's also good too. How do you change your messaging? How do you adapt to the person in front of you to make it valuable for them? Because that's what it's about. It's not what I think is valuable. It's like, what's, what's, a, what's valuable to the person right in front of me. That's what I want to pitch. That to me is kind of, I guess that level of game speed practice. Cause they're, they're potential patients, they're referrers, they're key stakeholders in the continuum. Right. And they're going to move jobs at some point and they're going to remember you and take you along that way. Uh, I love yeah. how you have both yeah. practicing on the clinical side with, you know, getting the reps certified on how to perform these procedures. And then on the sort of uh, craft side, the sales craft, you're doing the role plays uh, full speed and, and these other things. So you have both sort of areas covered relatively well. And I imagine while you're doing your OR certification, this is a good time to talk to the surgeon about X and this is a good time to ask him about Y. And so now you're inter, you know incorporating uh, the, the both function and, uh, you know, domain and, and, and craft, but in terms of practicing, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we're turning third here, heading home, wrong sport. Uh, how do you get better as a sales leader? You know, that one, again, I, I referenced the executive coaches, okay. um, so you've had, you have an executive coach. I've had an executive coach. Yeah, we've, we've had, you know, I've been really fortunate to have some great executive coaches along the last couple of experiences I've been at. And um, 
they're so valuable. Also, I think having a mentor, non-paid mentor or a network of mentors. So there's people that I've stayed in touch with that are at other organizations leading sales, leading the company, marketing, you name it. Um, having that network available to bounce ideas off, be vulnerable, talk about situations, I think is a great opportunity as a sales leader to learn. Um, listen, there's tons of forums now available mm -hmm. for free. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can find them online. Um, the networking, you know, within wherever you live, but also just the digital reach we have now, there's just, there's a lot available books, huge fan of books, obviously. Um, and you got to push yourself. You know, my goal right now is I, I really like audible because I can do a lot of things while I'm listening. Totally. Working out's always been a big, I don't know, maybe as an athlete, but like starting my day with some form of exercise and I've got a book in my ear. Great. Like I'm reading, I'm listening to an awesome book, Trillion Dollar Coach. Okay. Um, Thanks for the plug. Okay. Super, super cool book um, right now. And then I'm reading a book. Uh, so I always have one in the ear and then uh, one in the that So I'm you don't reading. combine the two modes. You you have two different books. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not a fast reader. So, Neither am I. But, you know, so I, I've got an audible. So if I can do that once a month, each of those, I, I got 24 books in a year. For me, that's pretty good. Leaders are readers. Right. Our readers are leaders. Readers are leaders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's yeah, so, so that, that's been really uh, good. And then it's, in terms of like sharpening, keeping that, that blade sharp, I, I think, um, I think back at some of the different ways that, you know, there's certain companies provide leadership development courses and then others maybe just aren't at that point yet. And I think you as the individual, it's your responsibility to seek out those opportunities. And there's people that will give you direction. Um, but you, you know, you got to put the work in to do it. Yeah. Well, you know, we do a really good job in, in, business of developing our frontline individual contributors and it, it seems like when it gets to the management level you were mentioning this earlier less pats on the back and in these sorts of things as you get it as you move up in the uh, uh, but so it's, it sounds like as you move up in your career in, in a leadership track specifically it becomes more on you self-accountable to sharpen that sword because not every organization to your point has a program that's focused on that and if you think about the sales training team or the sales enablement organization 90 if not 100 percent of their content is concentrated on the frontline individual contributors right. that yeah. i see often yeah. so it's important that we own our development as leaders as we move up that's a, an important Sometimes that that stop at at a medtronic or at a, a growing fast growing organization that's got the funding um, they are typically funding leadership development because they need it. Yeah. They're going from 20 reps to a hundred. And, and so you get start to build these layers. In, and that's where I was able to, you know, re really receive some great management training was in those kind of runs where you're growing fast and they're expanding. And now they need to develop the middle manager. And that's, you know, uh, those are good opportunities to think about for, for up and coming leaders. career changing opportunities. It yeah. sounds like. Well, this has been phenomenal. I know you have a busy day ahead of you. It's uh, we're recording here at the end of January. So, you know, trying to transition from last year to 2023, close the books, open the new year, you got your hands full. So tell people where they can find you and where they can find the book. Yeah, I think LinkedIn's a great spot. Jeremy Lehner, easily uh, connect easily. Um, point guard approach is available on all the areas. There's no doubt. <laughs> it's all good i mean perfect right uh, been, mine's been at the door i don't know if anybody's amazon amazon's a, a, an easy stop to get okay. it and also the publisher um 
I can find it on their their website as well, which is Olympia Publishers. Olympia Publishers, yep. So um, any of those spots, but if uh, yeah, anybody in the audience wants to connect, LinkedIn's a great spot. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.